Hey everyone, welcome to Zappagram, the mother of all music podcasts, where every week we cover the latest in music news, reviews, interviews, releases, discovery, history, and more. I'm your host, Chris Zappa, and as always, the world of music is a busy place, so without further ado, ground control to listener, take your protein pills, put your helmet on, this podcast ain't gonna listen to itself... Hey, Zappagrammers, welcome back to Zappagram, the mother of all music podcasts and newsletters. I am your host, Chris Zappa, and I am thrilled to join you this week for episode number 77. Do you know that I was today years old when I found out that Napster is still a thing? Who knew? I was doing some research uh, into the payout rates for streaming services. They vary significantly across the different services. And, uh, and, and it came up that Napster is actually uh, not only still around, they're the highest payout per stream out of all of the major streaming services. That includes, of course, Tidal, Apple Music, Deezer, Amazon Music, Spotify, and YouTube Music. And it's hard enough to understand these payout rates if you're actually looking at it. So I'm not going to talk about how much per stream. The, the rates are highly variable anyway and depend on several factors, including the artist's contract with the record label, the user's country that they're streaming from, and whether or not the user, the streamer, has a free or a paid subscription to the service. But YouTube Music pays out the least for every 100,000 streams, that equates to uh, around $100 to $300. For every 100,000 streams on Spotify, that equates to three to $500. For every 100,000 streams on Amazon Music, it's $400 to $500. For Apple Music, it's $560 to $790. For Tidal, the number goes up considerably. For 100,000 streams there, you get between $1,250 and $1,500. But the highest payout in the streaming service realm is Napster. For every 100,000 streams, that translates to roughly $2,000 for the artist. Now, I thought, you know, and th and this also is um, crucial to consider the payout rate, but it's also the platform's user base, you know. So, obviously, Spotify and Apple Music are going to have way more listeners than uh, Tidal or Amazon Music. But uh, it makes me wonder how many users are on Napster, because they have this really high payout. So, anyway, I went to the Napster website. I looked at it, and I'm like, well, I'll be damned. I thought I was going to find something that looked pretty old and dated. Uh, it's not. It looks uh, very slick and modern, like it's a, a new thing, a current thing. Like, people are using Napster, apparently. Uh, legally, you know, now. So, I just found that really interesting. Thought I would share that with you guys. But we have way too much show to get into today. Way too much news to cover, uh, to spend much more time on mindless chit-chat. So, let's just get into things, shall we? Every week, I kick the show off with a quote from a famous artist. It's typically someone who is in the news or who's have got a birthday coming up. That is the case here. The, this week's quote comes from Jackson Brown from a song he wrote called For a Dancer. And the quote is, No matter how close to yours another's steps have grown, in the end there is one dance you'll do alone. That's, uh, that's some deep shit, man. I love Jackson Brown an amazing songwriter and lyricist and musician so if you don't listen to jackson brown what are you doing with your life and jackson is still making music uh, even today but i highly recommend going back and listening to like his first 
six or seven albums all the way up to the uh, early 80s. Everything that he did in the 70s was just absolutely incredible. If you are not subscribed to the Zappagram newsletter, what are you doing with your life? What are you waiting for? Go to Zappagram.com right now and sign up. That's the only way to uh, to see a lot of the stuff that I talk about in the podcast here. But every week I run a poll called Rock the Vote. Last week I asked, if I send the newsletter separately from the podcast, would you mind? This would mean two emails from me each week. 90% of you said, I don't mind. 10% of you uh, said you would mind. Quick little backstory on that. Every every week when I send the podcast, I, I bundle the podcast and the newsletter into one email. And maybe you uh, listen through that email, through Substack itself. Maybe you stream this show on, you know, some other podcast platform. But um, anyway, that's, that's why I had to separate the two last week. And uh, on occasion, I might need to do that. So I was just trying to, uh, to get a gauge on, on how you guys felt about that. If, if I end up sending the two emails a week, is that a deal breaker for you? For 90% of you, it is not. This week, I'm asking a real simple question. What's the perfect length for a weekly playlist? I also do one of those. And, uh, and I want to know, is it 10 songs or less or more than 10 songs? How many of you listen to the weekly playlist that I put out? Every week, I do a playlist. It's new music mostly, but sometimes there's some uh, some old faves that make its way on there too. I average around 13 songs every week on the playlist, and uh, and I hope that you guys all listen to it. I'm trying to turn you guys onto some great new music, some great old music. But yeah, sound off in the poll this week and let me know what you guys think. The weekly Zappagram playlist is available on both Spotify and Apple Music. Every single week, I put out a new playlist. This week's playlist includes music from Golden Blue, my friends in Golden Blue, who make beautiful, amazing music. And I'm super excited to say that their debut album, Museum, comes out on the 20th of this month. So I'm super excited for that. I can't wait to share that with you guys. Also on the playlist, I have Tyler Treadwell, Dylan LeBlanc, Busty and the Bass, and Sun Little, Annie Leppert, Maya Manser, Heartless Bastards, Elbow, Rhett Miller, Eurythmics, Marcy Playground, and Amy Mann rounding out this week's playlist. The weekly playlist number always matches up with the episode number, so we're on 77. That's if you want to look for that on Spotify or Apple Music as well. I have a master playlist that contains all of the music from all of the weeks, so there's uh, several, several hours, uh, probably days, worth of music on there for you to listen to as well. It's one of those, you know, if you want to get to know me, listen to this playlist kind of things. And having gotten all of that out of the way, now it's time for us to jump into this week's music news. I think there is more music news this week to cover than there ever has been in previous weeks since Zappagram started. Ozzy Osbourne's Bark at the Moon is getting a new vinyl reissue for its 40th anniversary. It's hard to believe that's that old Ozzy's classic third album, 1983's Bark at the Moon, hasn't been pressed to vinyl in the U.S. since the year it came out. But that's about to change. It's getting reissued for its 40th anniversary, and it's due out November 17th. Pre-order a translucent cobalt blue pressing at the link in the newsletter. ACDC is in the news. They've launched a limited edition whiskey. They've collaborated with Ballantine's Scotch Whiskey to introduce a limited edition whiskey called Ballantine's Finest. The whiskey is part of Ballantine's True Music Icons collection, which previously paid tribute to Queen and now celebrates ACDC's 50th anniversary in the music industry. The whiskey boasts a nose of heather, honey, and spice with a palette of milk chocolate, orchard fruit, and toasted malt. With each sip, you may experience a high-voltage thrill that will leave you electrified. 
Public Enemy announced it takes a nation of millions to hold us back 35th anniversary vinyl reissue. Their uh, 1988 album, It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back, on vinyl is now to commemorate the album's 35th anniversary and celebrate the year-long hip-hop 50th anniversary event. This release, scheduled for November 10th, will be available in two versions, a double LP or a more extensive quadruple LP set, the latter including bonus tracks from the deluxe CD like instrumental and acapella versions. The album is available for pre-order right now. Sufjan Stevens has been in the news a lot lately. Uh, Of course, he has a new album out, Javelin, and he just recently has uh, been diagnosed with Guillain-Barre syndrome, which he is in the process of recovering from. But he just released this new album, and now he has dedicated the album Javelin to his late partner uh, in a touching display of love and loss. Singer-songwriter Sufjan Stevens dedicated this new album, Javelin, to his late partner Evans Richardson. Through a heartfelt message on social media, Stevens, who has generally kept his personal life under wraps, shared the news of his partner's passing. The dedication symbolizes his profound loss and offers a glimpse into the emotional depth that shapes this new project. This rare moment of personal insight accompanied the release of Javelin, marking a bittersweet milestone in Stephen's illustrious, albeit often private, musical journey. Here's a headline for you. Blink-182 channel Punk Godfathers the Ramones in new Dance With Me video. Their latest music video for their latest single, Dance With Me, off of their forthcoming album, pays a heartfelt tribute to the iconic punk band the Ramones. The video, released last week, is a playful homage where the members of Blink don Ramon-esque wigs and recreate visuals from the Ramones' time, especially drawing elements from their music video for I Wanna Be Sedated. The video is described as a love letter to the Ramones, encapsulating some of the most iconic moments associated with the legendary New York band. Dance With Me isn't just a nostalgic throwback. It's the fourth single from Blink's upcoming album One More Time, showcasing the band's enduring reverence for punk rock pioneers while hinting at their own musical journey forward. It is that time of the year again. The Austin City Limits Music Festival has been taking place. It took place last weekend, and this coming weekend will take place at Austin's Zilker Park. For those unable to attend in person, Hulu stepped in to provide a live stream of many of the performances from the festival, bringing the music into people's living rooms. This collaboration allowed fans from afar to experience the festival live, showcasing a variety of acts and maintaining the tradition of ACL, which has been delivering music to audiences since 1976. I've watched some of this live stream, and it's really, really good. Um, This has included sets from Foo Fighters, Mumford & Sons, Alanis Morissette, The Lumineers, Hosier, The Yeah Maggie Rogers, Noah Kahn, Lil Yachty, um, Tovlo, The Breeders, Suki Waterhouse, 30 Seconds to Mars, Portugal The Man, many, many, many more. If you are a Hulu subscriber, you can uh, watch this too. Maybe you want to tune in. I am unsure if this is still going to be available on Hulu after the uh, the show has ended and aired, uh, you know, in the weeks afterwards. But uh, but it is uh, available while they are live streaming now. So if you are able to tune in, do so. Here's a weird story. A catfishing scam using photos of Barry Gibb of the Bee Gees tricked a woman into parting 
with at least $11,000 of her retirement savings, sending it all to a con artist. The swindler pretended to be Barry Gibb and established an online romantic connection with the woman. This incident was covered in an episode of the YouTube series Catfished, shedding light on the deceptive scheme and possibly acting as a cautionary tale for others who engage in online relationships. The deceit led to a financial loss, obviously for the victim, but an emotional toll as well as she was led to believe in a romantic relationship that was a complete fabrication. That's very sad. But at the same time, who would believe that Barry Gibb of the Bee Gees was... Who would believe that? Here's some news for fans of The National. Matt Berninger, known for his vocal prowess as the lead singer of The National, has been nurturing the idea of a sitcom uh, alongside his director-slash-actor brother, Tom. Uh, The sitcom is going to be called Dos Apes. This isn't just a whimsical venture. The brothers have been mulling this over for quite some time with the project's roots traceable back to their collaboration on a sort of documentary, Mistaken for Strangers, which accompanied their album Trouble Will Find Me, which came out back in 2013. The sitcom, described as semi-autobiographical, has been under wraps for quite some time, with Matt spilling some beans in a recent interview revealing the working title and indicating that the narrative is still in the creative oven, so to speak. This endeavor is a heartfelt extension of the Berninger Brotherhood into televised humor blending real-life camaraderie with scripted antics. Amidst the world of rock and roll and touring, Dos Apes emerges as a playful sidebar, a testament to the creative versatility that brews within Matt and his brother, waiting to tickle the funny bone of the audience while probably offering a quirky reflection on the life and times of the Burninger Brothers. We don't yet know when or where this will air, but I will keep you in the loop. You like goofy stories? Here's another goofy story. Last month, on September 20th, a New Jersey man deliberately crashed his SUV into a police station in Independence Township, New Jersey, as he was blasting Guns N' Roses' classic Welcome to the Jungle. Thankfully, no one was hurt during the incident, though one officer narrowly avoided being struck by the vehicle, driven by John Hargraves, 34, of Belvedere. The SUV ended up in the station's squad room, and surveillance footage sees Hargraves immediately exit the vehicle and put his hands in the air. According to an official press release from the police department, quote, the defendant exited the vehicle and appeared to be celebrating as he was apprehended by officers on scene as his car stereo blared the song Welcome to the Jungle. Police still haven't determined a motive for his barreling into the station. However, the crash happened just minutes after he had driven into the garage door of a home in nearby Liberty Township in an attempt to harass the homeowner. He then drove to the closest police station, which was in Independence Township. But uh, make no mistake, this was no uh, fun and games. You know, as the song talks about, the crash could have been deadly, and Hargraves has been charged with burglary, criminal mischief, and a weapons count in both crashes, as well as counts of terrorism, aggravated assault, and causing widespread injury or damage stemming from the police station crash. Welcome to the jungle. It's more like welcome to the jail cell, am I right? Now, speaking of jail cells, recently a man was arrested in the murder of Tupac, right? Now, Suge Knight, who was in the car with Tupac when he was shot and killed, uh, says he won't testify against the murder suspect. He has decided to zip it when it comes to testifying against Dwayne Keefe D. Davis, the alleged shooter of Tupac. Despite being an eyewitness to the crime, Suge Knight has chosen to don the cloak of silence, stating that he is 1,000% against testifying. 
almost as if there's a badge of honor in withholding potentially game-changing evidence. He's playing the surprised card, expressing astonishment at the recent arrest, but also questioning the authenticity of the charges, suggesting that the officials might have nabbed the wrong guy. And even though he was behind the wheel on the tragic night, Tupac was fatally shot in the passenger seat right next to him. Um, here he is evading what many would see as a moral obligation to testify, claiming he wouldn't wish prison even on his worst enemy. How noble, right? Or is it a tactic to remain in the good graces of specific individuals or perhaps a fear of reprisal? His adamant refusal to take the stand against KPD raises more than just an eyebrow. It shrouds the pursuit of justice for Tupac in a veil of murky uncertainties and begs the question, what's holding him back from speaking the truth? Could his testimony not potentially lead to a closure long overdue in the Tupac murder case? Who are we to expect a straightforward path to justice, right? Very strange. Very strange indeed. If you were wondering, there will be no Fleetwood Mac anymore after Christine McVeigh's death earlier this year. The stark reality of loss and the irrevocable change it brings to the dynamics of long-standing relationships is poignantly reflected in Stevie Nicks' sentiments regarding a Fleetwood Mac reunion following the passing of her friend and bandmate Christine McVie, a key figure as a keyboard player and vocalist within the iconic band, succumbed to a stroke and cancer at the age of 79 last November. In a somber tone, Stevie Nicks has reiterated on several occasions that there's no reason for a reunion of Fleetwood Mac in the wake of such a profound loss, echoing the sentiments of Mick Fleetwood, who has said the same thing. The friendship and professional camaraderie that bound Nix and McVie is evident in her reflections during an interview with Vulture recently where she stressed the irreplaceable void left by Christine's passing. The notion of rekindling the old ensemble now seems unthinkable to her, underscoring the sad reality that some bonds, once severed by the relentless hand of fate, leave a permanent silence that resonates louder than the once harmonious chords of companionship. Ministry announced a 2024 North American tour, joining forces with Gary Newman and Frontline Assembly to deliver a riveting experience for their fans. The tour announcement comes right before the release of Ministry's new studio album, Hopium for the Masses, which is set to drop the 1st of March uh, early next year. So adding to the anticipation and excitement among the fan base, this tour, which reprises the Ministry Newman Frontline Assembly package from a previous tour, is scheduled to kick off February 26th. 7th in San Francisco, and will keep the caravan rolling until April 5th in Tucson, Arizona when the tour wraps up. The lineup of cities includes notable stops across the U.S. and Canada, offering a widespread of locations for fans to catch this industrial metal spectacle live. This collaboration not only underscores the symbiotic relationship among these seasoned artists, but also promises a unique blend of musical styles likely to resonate well with their particular audiences, making the spring of 2024 a season to look for to for industrial metal aficionados. And speaking of aficionados, Getty Lee, the iconic bassist and vocalist from Rush, is hitting the road to promote his memoir, My Effin' Life, which is seeing the light of day on November 14th, courtesy of HarperCollins. The book tour, whimsically named My Effin' Life in Conversation, is a spoken word journey starting this December in the UK with North America on the itinerary right after. It kicks off November 13th at the Beacon Theater in New York, passing through 14 more North American cities. Getty leaves his instruments at home, trading them for a mic and a stool as he delves into conversations about his life and his effing experiences in the rock and roll universe. 
The evenings promised to be extraordinary, likely filled with tales of Russia's heyday, the ups and downs of rock stardom, and glimpses into Getty's personal journey. So if you're in for a blend of nostalgia, rock history, and Getty Lee's witty banter, you should mark your calendars for this one. You can check the dates for that in the newsletter. In a musical crossover that might raise an eyebrow or two, Tori Amos has decided to dip her toes into the rap realm by covering Kendrick Lamar's Swimming Pools. In Trevor Horn's new album, known for her wild unlikely covers, Amos adds a unique flavor to Kendrick's hit, making it a part of a broader musical canvas that Horn is painting with various artists on this album. This album isn't just a solo endeavor by him, it's a star-studded affair with appearances by Rick Astley, Seal, Mark Almond, and Tori Amos, among others, each bringing their unique touch to well-known tracks. While Horn is lending his voice and instrumental skills to the album, he's also gathered many old friends to add a nostalgic touch to new renditions of these songs. A snippet of Amos's take on Swimming Pools is teased in the album trailer, leaving listeners curious and perhaps slightly bemused, awaiting the full experience of hearing the entire thing. This endeavor is a playful reminder of the musical kaleidoscope that emerges when artists from different genres collide, even if the fusion is as unexpected as a Tori Amos-Kendrick Lamar mashup. I am very curious to hear what that sounds like. I am uh, big fans of both of them. I am also a fan of these next two people. Casey Musgraves and Noah Kahn are releasing a duet version of She Calls Me Back, Noah's song She Calls Me Back. It's actually out now. They have just recently released it. The revamped track, now adorned with Musgraves' soothing vocals, offers a fresh take on the original and aims to rekindle the fans' interest in the song. The collaboration celebrated by some as a pleasant connection, as it has been said. I believe their their voices blend well together. It seems to be an orchestration of mutual admiration between the two artists attempting to keep the melody alive and resonating while talking a little extra charm into the mix. Amidst the applause and appreciation, this duet edition subtly uncloaks the timeless tactic of rejuvenating a track by infusing a new voice in hopes of keeping the buzz buzzing. Ah, the sweet, sweet sound of strategic collaboration. But uh, no, it's very good. It's very good. Go listen to it. Brace yourself as we trip down the psychedelic lane with Spiritualized, the band Spiritualized 20th anniversary reissue of their album Amazing Grace. It seems like every time you turn around these days, there's a new 20th or 30th or 40th or 50th anniversary reissue of a, of a popular album. But the band is not just stopping at remastering the audio for this vinyl release. They are doling out a sensory buffet with a previously unreleased video for the song Rated X, um, alongside re-releasing videos for Cheapster and She Kissed Me, It Felt Like a Hit. This reissue is more than a mere nostalgic nod. It's a part of a grander Spaceman reissue program curated by Jay Spaceman himself, reincarnating the 2003 album in a fresh vinyl avatar slated for a grand unveiling on January 19th of this coming year. In the vast cosmos of reissues, Amazing Grace is being reborn not just in any mundane form, but on 180 gram vinyl, because nothing screams sophisticated nostalgia louder than a hefty high-quality record spinning on a turntable. And let's not overlook the timing. As they head into headlining tour dates through November, what better way to revamp the hype than with a vinyl reissue of an album that once serenaded the starry-eyed fans of this neo-psychedelic rock band? 
Now, as the fans wait with bated breath for January to roll around, one wonders if this reissue will transport them back to the ethereal soundscape of 2003 when they first heard this album, or simply serve as a reminder that in the music universe, what's old can always be resold with a fresh coat of remastered paint. I choose not to be that cynical. I think it's going to be a great thing. But speaking further on that very topic, Metallica is at it again, serving a dose of nostalgia sprinkled with a tinge of modernity. The iconic band has decided to re-release their first five albums on limited edition colored vinyl, each getting its moment in the spotlight from November 2023 to March 2024. That's when these albums are going to be released over that time period. But wait... There's a catch. These colored vinyl editions are making their way to the fans outside of North America first, perhaps an enticing gesture to their global fandom or a clever marketing stunt to keep the Metallica mania alive and spinning. The saga begins with Kill 'Em All blazing in Jump in the Fire Engine Red vinyl on November 3rd. That's when that's coming out, setting the tone for the colored extravaganza that unfolds over the coming months. Ride the Lightning is reported to be uh, pressed in, a, in an electric blue. That that sounds really nice. But as uh, fans across the globe await the arrival of these colored relics, the legacy of Metallica continues to be etched deeper into the annals of rock, one colored vinyl at a time. And speaking of the annals of rock, Sharon Osbourne is opening an Ozzy Osbourne Museum in Birmingham, England. Set to immortalize the wild journey of the Prince of Darkness himself and orchestrated by his wife, Sharon Osbourne, this museum is an endearing endeavor to encapsulate Ozzy's roaring legacy amid the quaint backdrop of his hometown. With the announcement recently made on the Osbournes podcast, which I have talked about here on the show recently, it seems Sharon has been scavenging through the vast collection of Aussie memorabilia they have to showcase in the soon-to-be-revered halls of this museum. So Birmingham isn't just getting a museum, it's getting an epitaph of rock and roll history, a tangible echo of Aussie's bone-chilling screams and heart-thumping beats. It's almost poetic. The city that once cradled the national dreams of a young Aussie now hosts a testament to his tumultuous yet legendary voyage into the world of rock and roll. But let's not forget, this is not just a brick-and-mortar structure. It's a chronicle of Ozzy's life. Each memorabilia piece tells tales of a time when the Prince of Darkness reigned over the rock kingdom with a mic in one hand and possibly a bat in the other. Will the museum have a section dedicated to the bat or the dove or maybe the Alamo? Only time and a ticket to Birmingham will tell. No word yet on when the museum is scheduled to open, but I will let you know as soon as I know, you know? The world of rock and roll is no stranger to feuds, but the ongoing spat between Pink Floyd alumni David Gilmour and Roger Waters has taken a cinematic turn. David Gilmour recently has thrown his weight behind a documentary detailing alleged anti-Semitism from his bandmate Roger Waters, serving yet another portion of discord in their decades-long disharmony. This documentary, seemingly a celluloid indictment, has Gilmore's endorsement stamped all over it, rekindling the embers of a feud that has long outlived the band's heyday. And as if this wasn't enough, uh, David's spouse, Polly Sampson, too, has chimed in with her scathing Twitter um, indictment of Waters, labeling him not just anti-Semitic, but a kaleidoscope of unflattering adjectives among her choice descriptors were uh, liar, thief, tax avoider, misogynist, a verbal bouquet that could rival any of the scorn-filled lyrics the band was famed for. Perhaps it's somewhat poetic that a band known for its psychedelic sounds is embroiled in a reality that's far stranger and dirtier and uglier than fiction. 
Speaking of dirtier, people ruin everything. This is why we can't have nice things. Central Park's Great Lawn closed until April 2024 due to concert damage. Here's a tale of a noble cause gone wrong. The iconic Great Lawn of Central Park recently hosted the Global Citizen Festival, an event known for its virtuous global causes. However, it seems that the festival left behind more than just a footprint of goodwill. The lawn was so brutally ravaged by the torrential rain and the energetic concert goers that it now resembles a battlefield, more so than a lawn. The damage was of such a grand scale that the Great Lawn has closed its green embrace to the public until spring as it undergoes a beauty rehab of sorts. New Yorkers have been robbed, at least temporarily, of one of their beloved patches of green where they could escape the concrete jungle, if only momentarily. The irony bites harder than a New York winter. Once, a venue for promoting global betterment is now a mud pit awaiting resuscitation. It's a reminder that even well-intentioned human endeavors can sometimes lead to unintended, muddy consequences. Recently, A Perfect Circle, Pucifer, and Primus announced a 2024 U.S. tour called the Sassanta Tour. Sassanta means 60 in Italian. This is to uh, celebrate uh, against the backdrop of Maynard James Keenan's 60th birthday which will be coming up this spring. Clearly, the celebration called for something beyond the ordinary, so these three bands are banding together and going on tour. And they have just announced a new slew of tour dates added to the original dates that they just announced a couple of weeks ago. Originally, there were only six or seven dates. I believe now it's up to 13 or 14 dates. So be sure to check the link in the newsletter and find out if they're rolling through a town near you. Here's a headline. Ed Sheeran confirms he has his own grave in his backyard. The recent revelation that Sheeran has dug his own grave in his backyard is certainly one for the books. The thinking out loud singer is evidently thinking ahead, going to extreme lengths to prepare for the inevitable final bow. Not just content with a simple gravesite, Sheeran has erected a whole chapel in his backyard for his family's use when the time comes. While some might find it morbid, Shira defends his backyard burial plot, stating uh, that it's uh, not a crypt, but a simple grave, perhaps with a view and a cozy ambiance only a Grammy-winning artist could appreciate. It's a place where friends have already tied the knot, making it a venue of love and eventually of loss and maybe a touch of the macabre. This quirky venture takes resting in peace to a whole other eccentric level. It's a classic Ed, unconventional, intimate, and with a hit of mystery, making death seem less like a final goodbye and more like a planned intermission. Spotify has recently announced that they will soon begin to offer premium subscribers 15 free hours of audiobook streaming per month. Oh, where do we begin with this latest attempt to lure listeners to the platform, specifically bibliophiles? To perhaps make amends for their billion-dollar podcasting blunder, Spotify has uh, now opened the gates to this new audiobook realm, offering a generous 15 hours of free audiobook listening each month to its premium subscribers. What a way to say sorry for the podcast flop, right? Now, should you find yourself entranced by the soothing narration of your favorite books and the 15-hour quota evaporates before you know it, fear not. For a mere $11, you can buy yourself another 10 hours of ear candy each month. 
starting this past Friday. This has uh, rolled out for Lucky Bookworms in the UK and Australia. Uh, Meanwhile, US subscribers will have to twiddle their thumbs until this feature graces their apps later this year. Oh, and let's not forget this grand gesture comes with a library of over 150,000 audiobooks. It's such a benevolent way to coax the premium subscribers to stick around, right? Here's to hoping that Spotify audiobook strategy follows a different fate than its podcast venture. Also, just in the last couple of days, uh, a journalist on Twitter has caught wind of the fact that they're uh, finally ready to offer their hi-fi tier to subscribers. Uh, They're not going to call it hi-fi. They're going to call it Supremium. I'm not kidding. It's going to be called Supremium, and it's going to cost roughly twice what it costs right now. Uh, Said to be around 20 bucks a month. You will get uh, hi-fi audio streaming, a lot more insights into your listening activity, a lot more AI tools uh, with which to build and generate playlists. Uh, Anyway, all of this is rumored to be out in the U.S. by the end of the year, so I will definitely keep you up to date on the latest news about that as I learn more. Here's a band name that's fun to say. King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, never ones to let the grass grow under their feet, have announced yet another album, maintaining the prolific output that has characterized their music journey so far. This band has a love affair with the studio, apparently. They announced their 24th album, 24th album, back in May of this year, which was not long after they had just released another album, and now they're announcing their 25th studio album, The Silver Chord will be released on October 27th, 2023. I believe I might have misspoken. I think they've released three or four albums already this year. This band is seemingly on a mission to flood the music scene with their creativity, and they're not letting anything hold them back, not even the constraints of human capability, thanks to AI, which sounds like they are employing quite a bit in an effort to crank out all of this music. But AI or not, the sheer volume of music they're cranking out is both bewildering and impressive, making one wonder, do they ever sleep? In celebration of the 25th anniversary of her iconic Diamond-certified album, The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill, Ms. Lauryn Hill has embarked on a tour, performing the album in its entirety. The tour took an exciting turn when, at uh, its second stop, she reunited with her Fuji's bandmates, and the reunion wasn't just a one-time spectacle, as all North American dates of her tour are set to feature co-headlining performances by the Fuji's. The announcement of additional tour dates with the Fuji's co-headlining on all North American stops surely amplifies the anticipation among fans, marking a notable fusion of Lauren Hill's solo nostalgia with the collective charisma of the Fuji's. That's going to be one hell of a show. Indie rock band Slater Kenny has announced their 11th album, titled Little Rope which will be released via Loma Vista Records on January 19th, 2024. The album follows their 2021 album, Path of Wellness, which was recorded in their hometown of Portland, Oregon. The album's announcement came with the release of a new single and a music video for the lead single, titled Hell. The new 10-song project is partially inspired by personal losses experienced by band member Carrie Brownstein, making it a poignant venture for the band, The unveiling of Little Rope was accompanied by the release of some new tour dates as well, adding to the anticipation surrounding Slater Kenny's upcoming project. I don't cover much country music news, but uh, Ronnie Millsap is in the news this week, and man, that dude was all over the place, all over the radio when I was a kid growing up. The country music legend, known for his crossover appeal, marked an end to his live performances in Nashville with a star-studded final show at Bridgestone Arena this past weekend. 
The event was a fitting farewell to a remarkable career, highlighting Millsap's vast influence in both country and pop music. Known for hits like Smoky Mountain Rain, Any Day Now, and Stranger in My House, his music career spans decades with a bounty of accolades including 35 number one hits, 6 Grammys, 4 ACMs, 8 CMAs, and a whopping 35 million-ish album sold, give or take one or two. And his achievements are even more impressive considering he achieved them despite being being born legally blind. Millsap, who turned 80 this year, is still in the music scene, but has decided to take a step back from live performances. This final show was quite memorable, featuring performances by renowned artists like Kelly Clarkson, who opened the show with Millsap's 1977 hit, It Was Almost Like a Song. Millsap's extraordinary career has earned him a spot in the Country Music Hall of Fame. Back in 2014, he was inducted and a membership in the Grand Ole Opry since 1976. Despite the farewell show marking his last stage performance in Nashville, Millsap isn't retiring completely. As I said, he intends to continue recording and performing occasionally, ensuring his musical legacy continues to thrive. I listen to that dude's music and I am instantly transported back to my childhood. And lastly, speaking of childhoods and things that make you think of childhood, Stevie Nicks has announced a new Barbie made in her likeness. She took to the stage at Madison Square Garden during a concert to unveil a special Barbie doll crafted in her likeness and delighting fans. During her performance, the new Stevie Barbie pays homage to the iconic artist showcasing Nix's enchanting persona known for her bewitching voice. This unique Barbie doll donned an outfit inspired by one of Stevie Nicks uh, on the cover of the Rumors album capturing the timeless essence of her style. The announcement of the official Stevie Nicks Barbie created in collaboration with Mattel was a tribute to her legacy and a celebration shared with her fans who were thrilled as they cheered her on during the unveiling. That's so cool. That was a lot of music news. We are done with the music news, but I've got to go get some more coffee and you guys have got to stick around because we've got plenty more show to go. Just two weeks ago, I unveiled a new segment here on the Zappagram podcast called Asshole of the Week. Two weeks ago, Eric Clapton was that asshole. Last week, Marilyn Manson was the asshole. And I thought this would be a good segment to add to the show because there's always some asshole, right? There's always some asshole somewhere. And um, maybe it was a bit premature to add this to the show because I don't have an asshole of the week this week. Which is certainly not to say that there's not assholes out there, and uh, probably even some that made the news, but they just didn't come across my desk. So I will be on the lookout for the next asshole. Rest assured, when I find that asshole, they'll be the asshole of the week. But until then, it's time to move on to greener pastures. And for now, those greener pastures will be found in Z-Rex, Zappa's Recommendations. My good friend Burke penned this fascinating article shedding light on Josephine Baker, an American-born singer who utilized her status as an entertainer to act as a spy in Nazi-occupied Paris during World War II. This remarkable lady was deeply involved with the French resistance, employing the use of invisible ink to conceal information within her sheet music. As she danced on stage, accompanied by a violin section, she discreetly transmitted encoded messages to aid the Allied forces against the Nazis. Uh, the story highlights the singer's double life as both a performer and a covert operative during a tumultuous period in history, showing how her artistic endeavors on 
stage served as a facade for her espionage activities that contributed to the Allied war effort. An absolutely incredible story and excellent writing by my friend Burke. So that story is in Z-Rex this week. Please click through and read that. The rest of Z-Rex this week is focused on one person, one musical legend, my own personal guitar god, Stevie Ray Vaughan. A writer by the name of Michael Corcoran publishes a substack called Overserved, in which he publishes random unedited chapters of a book tentatively titled Overserved, A Personal History of the Austin Music Scene. The article uh, that I'm highlighting here is titled SRV, The Fan Who Would Be King. It delves into the incredible life and talent of Stevie Ray Vaughan through a blend of historical context, personal anecdotes, and insights into Vaughan's musical journey. The article pays homage to his enduring legacy. It's a very, very good read. Next up is a video I found on YouTube. Um, Being the Stevie Ray aficionado that I am, I thought I'd watched every film clip ever recorded of him burning down the house, but I just came across this video that was recorded in July of 1988 uh, that I'd never seen. It was recorded at Blues Pier, a music festival held annually in Pier, Belgium. He is always amazing, Uh, although this particular video suffers from some poor quality and the audio doesn't perfectly sync up in some parts of the video, specifically between like the minute and a half, three minute mark. However, this part in his solo around the three minute 45 second mark, uh, which is where I've started the video, if you click the link in the newsletter, it should start right there. Uh, it's, It's just the perfect example of why Stevie Ray Vaughan is an absolute legend. I've I've heard him shred before, but um, but not like this. Just he's just absolutely on fire. And after that part, let the video continue to play to around the five minute mark when he takes the guitar, swings it around behind his back, and plays the rest of the song that way with the guitar behind his back. And he literally never misses a note. He's on the lower fretboard, he's up on the upper fretboard, and then he's back down the lower fretboard. He's all over the place. Never misses a note. Absolutely amazing. And lastly, uh, I have this audio uh, link uh, also on YouTube, but it's an audio only link of Stevie doing a cover of uh, an old B.B. King song, You Done Lost Your Good Thing Now. And this was recorded way back in 1981 at a bar called Fitzgerald's in Houston, where Stevie and his band used to play quite a bit. I have not heard him cover this particular song before, and both his playing and his vocals are just unbelievable. So if you're a fan of Stevie Ray like I am, be sure to check all of that out. Again, that's under Z-Rex in this week's Zappagram newsletter, number 77. Friday is the release day for most new music, and this past Friday we had some great new releases. Keanu Reeves' band Dogstar, Somewhere Between the Power Lines and Palm Trees, that album is out, and it's quite good. Heat Miser, the music of Heat Miser, that's come out. Husker Du has a new album. Ilzy has a new album titled From the Valley, which is quite good. Joni Mitchell released Archives Volume 3, The Asylum Years, 1972 to 1975, which has some really great tracks on there. A lot of uh, demos, a lot of live performances, um, particularly a couple of uh, shows at Carnegie that she did, which are on there. Really great to listen to her 
and hear her in her prime. Meat Puppets have a new album called Camp Songs. Omar Apollo released a new EP. Sufjan Stevens, as I mentioned earlier in the show, just released Javelin, a beautiful and heartbreaking album. And Van Halen just released The Collection 2, follows up The Collection 1. The Collection 1 they released covered all of their time, all of their hits, and some deep cuts from the time that David Lee Roth was the lead singer. And this collection, Collection 2, follows the uh, Sammy Hagar years. All of those albums are definitely worth a listen. Let's talk a little bit about this release radar. Boy, we have some good music coming up. Uh, This fall is just giving and giving and giving when it comes to music. Next week, we have a new EP from Boy Genius. Holly Humberstone has a new album due out. Margot Price has new music coming. And Ringo Starr is putting out a new EP as well. The following week, new music coming from Blink-182, Bombay Bicycle Club, Devo, Duff McKagan, The Rolling Stones, and The Shins' 20th anniversary remaster of their great album, Shoots Too Narrow. The week after that will be October 27th. That will be uh, Black Pumas, DJ Shadow, The Gaslight Anthem. Jose Gonzalez has a 20th anniversary deluxe edition of his album, Veneer. The Kills have a new album coming out called God Games. Can't wait for that one. Nirvana has a 30th anniversary super deluxe edition of In Utero. Uh, Same, super deluxe edition for Diamonds and Pearls from Prince. And then Taylor Swift drops 1989, Taylor's version. And U2 is doing a vinyl reissue of Zuropa. And then lastly, on November the 3rd, Bob Marley and the Whalers have a 50th anniversary edition of Catch a Fire, two reissues of two of Christine McVie, the late Christine McVie of Fleetwood Mac, her solo albums, her self-titled one and an album titled In the Meantime. Both of those are being reissued uh, and remastered. Cold War Kids have a album coming out. Dave Matthews Band has one. Frank Zappa's 50th anniversary edition of Overnight Sensation. Jimmy Buffett's last album, Equal Strain on All Parts, comes out that day, as does a vinyl reissue of Neil Young's Time Fade away and semisonic has a new album coming out and the struts are coming out with an album called pretty vicious all of that is coming out over the next 30 days that's a lot of good music to look forward to This brings us to our final segment on this date, Musical Happenings of Historical Significance, or you might say Historical Happenings of Musical Significance. You can do it either way. Works both ways. On October the 9th, we celebrate a lot of great birthdays. John Lennon, John Entwistle of The Who, Jackson Brown, PJ Harvey, and Sean Lennon. Did you know that Sean Lennon and John Lennon were born on the same day? So cool, huh? Uh, Also on that day in 1985 marking what would have been John Lennon's 45th birthday, Yoko Ono formally opened the three-and-a-half-acre garden at the Strawberry Fields site in New York's Central Park. So many great birthdays to celebrate on that day. Now, also, a lot of great birthdays on October the 10th. The late great John Prine was born on that day, as was Cyril Neville of the Neville Brothers, Sharon Osborne, Ozzy's wife, Midge Ur, and David Lee Roth. Also, on that day in 1939, the real Eleanor Rigby died in her sleep of unknown causes at the age of 44. It's a very, uh, very interesting story surrounding the whole uh, Eleanor Rigby thing, the, 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 the song and how it came about and all that. Uh, I'll have to tell you about it sometime. On October the 11th, we celebrate the birthday of the great Daryl Hall. That would be of Hall & Oates fame. And on that day in 1990, Dave Grohl played his first gig with Nirvana when they appeared at the North Shore Surf Club in Olympia, Washington, October 11th, 1990. 
Here's your music history for October the 12th. On that day, we celebrate the birthdays of the great soul singer Sam Moore, Pat Denizio of the Smithereens. Smithereens were such a good band, man. Remember them? David Letts of the Damned. And uh, on that day in 1974, Blondie appeared at CBGB's for the very first time. That same day, October 12th in 1978, whilst living at the Chelsea Hotel in New York City, Sex Pistols' Sid Vicious called the police to say that someone had stabbed his girlfriend, Nancy Spungen. He was arrested and charged with murder and placed in the detox unit of a New York City prison. Vicious died of a heroin overdose before the case went to trial. Very tragic story, that. Now, on October 13th, we celebrate the birthday of the amazing songwriter Paul Simon. Sammy Hagar celebrates his birthday on that day as well. That same day in 1974, TV host Ed Sullivan died. And that same day, October 13th of 2016, Bob Dylan was awarded the 2016 Nobel Prize for Literature, becoming the first songwriter to win the prestigious award. The 75-year-old rock legend received the prize for having created new poetic expressions within the great American song tradition. Ton of birthdays on October 14th, Cliff Richard, Justin Hayward of the Moody Blues, Thomas Dolby, Natalie Maines of the Chicks, and Usher all celebrate birthdays on that day. That same day, October 14th of 1977, David Bowie released his 12th studio album, Heroes, one of my favorite Bowie albums. And that same day, in 2006, Freddie Fender died. Lastly, on October 15th, we celebrate the birthday of Richard Carpenter of The Carpenters, Chris DeBerg, who was big in the 80s, Tito Jackson, and Elgin Lumpkin, who you may know better as Genuine. That same day in 1973, Keith Richards was found guilty of trafficking cannabis by a court in Nice, France. He was given a one-year suspended sentence, a 5,000-franc fine, and was banned from entering France for two years. That was right around the time they were recording Exile on Main Street, which they did there in France. And uh, and I've written up a whole history of that album and all of the craziness surrounding it, which you also can read if you are a paid subscriber to Zappagram.com. If you're not, just head on over to Zappagram.com right now and sign up. Alright, Zappagrammers, we're winding down to the end of another jam-packed episode of your favorite music podcast. It's been a hell of a ride exploring all these stories and songs that colored our musical world this past week. Big shout out to you guys, to my listeners, for tuning in. You are the heart and soul of this show, and I couldn't do it without you. Before I sign off, remember to hit up zappagram.com and subscribe to the newsletter for all the latest updates. Be sure to follow me on threads, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, all those places for more music-related content. Check out the Will Work for Vinyl t-shirts available in my shop also. You can find those at chriszappa.com. I'll be back next week with more music news, insights, and witty banter. Until then, take care of one another. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. I've been your host, Chris Zappa, and until next week, I am out of here. <laughs>